Welcome to Center Ice, here for our last episode of March. I'm joined by Matt. This year continues to fly by, and we're doing our best just to try and keep up with everything around the NHL. We've got a fun show for you here today. So once again, here's Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Matt. You know, we've had a couple weeks of, I'd say, warmer than seasonal weather, and that's really helped brighten the mood of a lot of people around here. And it's been really good. I've been able to go out in my shorts. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Mother Nature is not done with winter yet. And we're going to get a final blast of snow on Thursday. I was telling you just before we came on that on April Fool's Day of all day days, we're getting what could be up to 10 centimeters of snow. I'm hoping that that is indeed a joke. But knowing my luck, it won't be. But at least we've got some good hockey going on. And... Uh, for the most part, things have been moving along fairly well with the NHL. Of course, the Canadians just got out of quarantining for the last week or so after a couple players tested positive for COVID in Montreal. So that was the first real hiccup in the North Division in terms of the virus. But overall, things are going pretty well in the NHL. But at least that's off the ice. On the ice, uh, that's a different story, eh, Mac? Yeah, for sure. Um, and we knew it was going to happen eventually. There was no way they were going to maintain a perfect record, even in Canada, in the North Division, without any postponed games. So, but I still think if you look at how they've done with the North Division, the fact that only one team has had any issues, and obviously that resulted in them being cautious with the other teams that were supposed to play that team, that's still pretty good, all things considered. Now, there is still a lot of time left in the season, and there is still time for this to happen again. But what I'm hearing is the players have started to get vaccinated, and uh, you know they're getting only the best vaccinations, which are very effective, fortunately for them. So hopefully not only the Canadian division, but the other divisions we can – move forward with the season with, uh, you know, minimal interruptions. And hopefully life as a whole, you know, we're making slow but steady progress there. And everyone listening, just uh, hold on. We're getting there. As they say, light at the end of the tunnel. But let's jump into the hockey, Mac. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't lead off the show with probably the most talked about story, at least on the ice, in the Buffalo Sabres. Because... Just for reference, Mac, I want to give you two st stats here. They'll just tell you how bad it's been in Buffalo since our last episode. So in our last episode, we published it on March 3rd. Mm -hmm. So about 27 days ago, the Sabres at the time had lost three in a row. And they haven't won a game since before we published our most recent episode. Before this one, of course. And they're still losing. They've lost 18 as a, in a row as of this recording. And they're going to play the Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow night. And if they lose, they will break the all-time record for most losses in a row. And the current record is tied between the Pittsburgh Penguins in 03-04 and the aforementioned Buffalo Sabres. The other stat that I think you'll enjoy, Mac, mm. this is from Sportsnet Stats. And it's a very simple tweet, but I think it's a very good one. It simply states, wins from Buffalo teams since February 1st, 2020. The Buffalo Bills football team has 15 wins. The Buffalo Sabres hockey team, which plays a lot more games, has 14 wins. <laughs> so, look, look, just even though they're on a record losing streak, it wasn't a good situation in Buffalo before this losing streak. And now it's just getting worse. And I, and I will say you and I called it, we said during our last episode, when the loot, when the losing streak was just in its in infancy, we said there needs to be a fire sale. And I think both of us stand by it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they should be looking to get anything they can get for some of these players that may or may not be available. And, you know, I think really the only players that you're not trading right now are guys like Dylan Cousins 
and Rasmus Dahlin. I think, honestly, I think Jack Eichel is going to push for a trade in the summer. And that wouldn't surprise me one bit. I don't think he can take much more of this. You know, it's one thing for, you know, um, players that are really good, like, like Mike Trout or Connor McDavid to play on what are overall not very good teams, but they're competitive enough that the players can accept the fact that, you know, they have to be the guys that are leading the team. This team on the other hand is just, is just terrible. (laughs) And and the fact that it took, it took so long for them to understand and realize that, and with the situation that's going on with the Pagulas and how they, they don't seem to care, you know, it's just, I don't think anybody wanted to see something like this, but, but right now they are a literal tire fire. And until they move on and they actually start to rebuild properly or even sell the team, like we suggested, it's going to get worse. And I, I don't know how many trades they're going to make at the deadline. I don't know what kind of trades Kevin Adams is going to make. I mean, we'll find out. Yeah, I think it, I think they're going to be a lot quieter than they should be, Mac. There's nothing that I'm seeing or hearing online that's saying the Sabres are going to make any big move. Now, they'll probably try to trade Taylor Hall, but that's a given. Mm-hmm. I doubt they're going to make any big moves or drastic moves at the deadline. I think you're more likely to see that as the NHL draft approaches, especially if the Sabres don't get the number one pick again. And that's a real possibility, of course, with the lottery. And who knows how the NHL draft's going to work this year, too. So there's lots of questions involving the Sabres, but I don't think we're going to start to get answers for them until we get to the offseason. At this point, the Sabres organization, basically all they can do is try and trade Taylor Hall for the max return they can get. And I don't think it's going to be all that much. I think they'll get a few picks and maybe an okay prospect, but nothing great. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think the Sabres are kind of stuck where they are until the off season. And you and I've had this conversation before. You're not sure if the Sabres are going to win again at the rate they're going. And that's completely fair. And I looked at their schedule before we got on the show here, Mac, after tomorrow against the Flyers. They play the Rangers twice, and the Rangers haven't been great, but they've been better as of late. I don't see them beating the Rangers twice. Mm. Then they they play the Devils, and that's where I can see the streak ending. But then after that, you play Boston, Pittsburgh. You play Washington, New York Islanders, the top teams in the division, and I just don't see those teams losing to the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I don't know how this team is going to do next year and the year after. But right now, I, I think you're kind of at a critical point here. You either admit that what you've done is is build a team that is incapable of competing, or you shuffle up the roster a little bit. You bring in some younger guys, and you. You don't do a rebuild, you do a retool. But if nothing changes, and if the only trade they make is, you know, they already traded Eric Stahl to Montreal. If the only trade they make is Taylor Hall to a contending team, what are we supposed to believe? Are we supposed to believe that all of a sudden they're going to start doing things the right way? I I don't think so. No, uh, you and I don't have any confidence in the Sabres to rebuild the right way out of it. That's another problem with the Sabres. The Sabres as a whole, if you're the Pagulas, I know a lot of people in Buffalo want the Pagulas to sell the team. I don't see that happening anytime soon. But if you're Terry Pagula, Mac, you need to take a step back here and look at the tire fire that is your hockey club. And I think he needs to take a page out of what he's done with the Buffalo Bills, which was take a step back, hire good scouts, coaches, and general managers, and Mm -hmm. Look at what happened in Buffalo for the Bills. It took two or three seasons, but now they've turned themselves into a contending team where free agents actually want to go. And the Sabres can do that. And they can probably do it in two or three seasons, as little as two or three seasons. But they need to, they need, 
the Pagulas to commit to it. And then I think until the Pagulas are willing to commit to actually giving the Sabres the financial resources they need to compete, I don't think the Sabres are going to do anything as much as it pains me to say that. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the owner has to care about the team and they have to care not only about, you know, the bottom line, but also about the organization. And look, you, you don't have to spend as much money as organizations like the Leafs and the Rangers and, and all the kind of top teams um, money-wise do, but you have to put the money where it matters. You know, you need to make sure you have a good player development system. And that is non-existent in my opinion with Buffalo. Like you mentioned, you hit home runs on draft picks. That's great. But overall, in terms of developing players at the AHL level, it, it's not very good. And, and I think scouts, you need a good coach. You need a lot of things. And the fact that the Sabres have basically stripped their organization of, I would say, at least 60% of those uh, staff is extremely troubling. And it just it, it doesn't. Uh, give me any confidence that anything's going to change. But like you said, maybe maybe the Pagulas will start caring and maybe they'll see, hey, what we did with the Buffalo Bills worked. We need to commit to the Sabres and try and turn this thing around. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but I've got to say that when they were leading Philly in that game yesterday, I think you and I were like, okay, that's great that they have a lead, but they have to hold it. And what happened? They sat back. They gave up four straight goals. They lost in overtime to the Flyers, who are their own mess right now. Well, we'll get into the Flyers in a minute, but I I think I can wrap on the Sabres safely by saying this. And you can agree or disagree with that, of course, man. My prediction is if the Sabres don't beat the Flyers tomorrow, their streaks can go to at least 25 games. At least. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, like, tomorrow, to me, it, it feels like tomorrow's a crossroads in this in the losing streak, Mac. They're either going to end it tomorrow or it's just going to go on indefinitely. It just, I get that feeling. But we will see. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, uh, you've said many times, Mac, that you're not sure if the Sabres are going to win another game this season. And at the rate they're going, it's hard to say they will. Especially when you consider that they're probably going to trade a bunch of guys at the deadline. They've already traded Eric Stahl. Taylor Hall is probably getting traded. You know, they might trade Olofsson. Maybe they'll get an offer on Ristolainen. I don't know. I mean, like, what's left? Who are they going to put on the ice? Jack Heichel's out the rest of the year. They're basically. Are you going to put Sam Reinhardt on your first line to play oh, with? <laughs> Dylan Cousins? Like, I don't know. Like, what, what are you going to do? They're, they're going to call up the – they're <laughs> going to call the guys in Rochester and say, okay, well, we're not going to field an AHL team anymore. Just bring them up and play. We'll give them all their NHL shot. <laughs> we need yeah. to put them guys on the ice. Yeah. Maybe the Mighty Ducks. Maybe that's who they'll call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Buffalo. Well, speaking of the Flyers, Mac, if it, if it wasn't for the Sabres – I think a lot more people will be talking about the Philadelphia Flyers because, oh, the Flyers have been a hot mess this year. Yeah, it's it's funny how that works because you and I were both pretty high on the Flyers going into this year. And if you look back to last year, they had such a good season. And the pause was the worst thing for them because I remember uh, they were playing a game against Tampa Bay and it was one of those featured games. And they were just dominating Tampa Bay which not a lot of teams could say and you and I thought to ourselves you know if they keep playing like this they have a shot to beat Tampa Bay to maybe make the Stanley Cup and maybe win the Stanley Cup but then everything changed and everything about the team changed after the pause so and this season's been a struggle and I think it's partially because they have a lot of young players and you know, um, they have a lot of pass-first players. They don't have a lot of scorers, Matt. And, you know, mm-hmm. Carter Hart is still a young goaltender, so he's going to have his ups and downs. And, and I think you and I believe that Carter Hart will be just fine long-term for the Flyers. But, uh, you know, you look at the roster, and there are definitely some issues there. I mean, 
I think they would do very well to to try and cut some of this salary up front because first of all, you have a good forward core. You have guys like Joel Farabee, Kevin Hayes, um, you know, Travis Konechny, but then you have these older guys like Giroux, Voracek, who don't really provide a whole lot to your team and they're paid a lot of money. And then you have a defense core that while it's a good young defense core, they're not very good defensively in their own end. And, and that's been a huge problem this year for the Flyers. So I don't, you know, I don't think this is on the coach. I think it's a, it's more on the players. I think it's, it's one of those teams that just hasn't responded well to this type of season, but also maybe just a team that uh, was expected to do a whole lot more than it's capable of. And, and look, I think this is still a team that could be very good. I think they just need to move some things around. And I think if you can maybe get a guy at the deadline, like a David Savard, who's basically a pure defensive defenseman, he blocks a lot of shots. He can play big minutes in the playoffs. That's the kind of guy they need right now, in my opinion. Yeah, they need to make some moves, but they don't need to make drastic moves. And the thing with the Flyers is you have to remember, although they're not as young as they used to be, they've still got some young guys. You mentioned Carter Hart. He's going to be sitting out the next couple of games and, He's a healthy scratch, and the Flyers have said they they want to take him out of the current situation and just work on some things with him. And I think that's a smart move by the Flyers because he's still a young player, a young goalie, and I think giving him some time to work on the fundamentals and the things that he's been struggling will benefit him through the remainder of the season and potentially through the rest of his career. I think the Flyers, they almost tried to rush it a little bit this year, and I think a lot of us were a little over-optimistic on the Flyers this year. And yeah. I, I think you're right. With with some retooling and getting some more depth guys in and getting some goal scorers, and it, it shouldn't cost them too much to do it. The Flyers, uh, not this year, but next season, could have a real bounce back. Yeah, I think you and I going into next year with the uh, Flyers will be optimistic, but I would say cautiously optimistic because – the Flyers are such a hard team to predict. You know, they always have been mm -hmm. because they could look like world beaters like they did last year until the pause, like we mentioned, or they could look like this or they could be somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still believe in, in what they have. And I think replacing Brian Elliott and bringing in maybe like a Jonathan Bernier would help a lot as well. Mm. Well, especially if we can get an 82 game season in next year, that'll certainly help a lot of teams because remember while we're judging these teams, if we were playing a regular season map, we'd only be about a third of the way through the season mm -hmm. and teams would have a lot more rest. So te the teams that are succeeding right now are really succeeding under very weird circumstances and more all the power to them. So, so teams like the flyers, I have some concern with them. They need to make some moves. But unless you're a team like the Sabres or our next team in Calgary, I wouldn't panic over one off season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, maybe the fan base is a little more uh, vocal and frustrated than, than most, but it's understandable after, you know, really the Flyers have been really a tough team to follow, I would say, the last 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, they've been playing second fiddle to uh, Pittsburgh the last 10 to 15 years. And yeah, and Mac, it's pretty well known my thoughts on the Pittsburgh Penguins on this show. I can only imagine what it'd be like playing the Penguins, who are your arch rival. You play them five, six times a year. You've played them in the playoffs multiple times. And you finally think, you know, from last season, this is, this is the time that the Habs that had no business being in the playoffs last year kicked out the Penguins pretty quickly. We've got a strong core. We've got Carter Hart, and then things just didn't go either way. So I feel for Flyers fans in a way I do. But I think a little more patience if you're a Flyers fan will go a long way. Now let's move on to our next team. I know we've been doing a, doing a lot on teams that suck. And bear with us. We, we've got one more team, but I think it's very important. <laughs> 
that we talk on the Calgary Flames, Mac, because just like the Philadelphia Flyers, I feel like what's going on in Calgary isn't getting quite as much attention as it deserves, especially among the Canadian media. Yeah, it's been talked about, and I'll give credit to the Athletic, Mac. They've been pretty much on the nose with it, mm-hmm. but by and large, uh, the Flames' struggles really haven't been documented quite as much as they should be. Oh, you're right, and, and I think you know the Flyers and the Flames will thank the Sabers for the season they're having right now because, like you said, if if Buffalo was a little better and not just a complete train wreck right now, the Flyers and the Flames would be getting a whole lot more attention. But yeah, it just you know the Flames making that coaching change and bringing in Daryl Sutter. First of all, it was very weird, and second of all. It just didn't make any sense to me. Like, I think that doesn't that kind of signal a problem with like your front office and the way they think, because look, I understand, you know, Daryl Sutter is kind of a legendary coach, but if you want to be a progressive organization and, and, you know, make changes that are lasting and, and change the way your team plays and be harder to play against and all those things, not only do you need to have the players to do that, but you need to have a coach that is probably a little younger and has some different philosophies than a Daryl Sutter. Well, the thing with Daryl Sutter, and you're right, the thing with Daryl Sutter is what you see with Daryl Sutter and what you've seen through his career is what you're going to get with him. And his style of coaching and his his gameplay style and philosophy worked well 10 years ago when the Mm -hmm. Kings won their Stanley Cups. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work today. And the other thing with Daryl Sutter is he's the type of coach you bring in when look at Calgary in his previous stint or LA are great examples. They brought him in when the team was pretty much done rebuilding and they had a good mix of veterans and upcoming stars and they were ready to make a push for the Stanley Cup. That's the type of coach Daryl Sutter is where he doesn't, for a, a mediocre team, he's not a Barry Trotz type coach where, or even a John Tortorella, I'd say that it's going to take a team that would otherwise be kind of mediocre like the Flames are and put them in a position to compete for a Stanley Cup. He's just not that type of coach. He's the type of coach that can take a, a, a perennial playoff contender and make them a Stanley Cup contender, if that makes any sense. So the Daryl Sutter hiring to me, it caught a lot of us off guard. And I don't know if he's going to stick around after this season. He probably will if tree living has his way, but should he? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that we've mentioned before is look, Brad tree living has to be on the hot seat here. Doesn't he like this is his team. This is what he's built. And you mentioned how strange it was that, you know, he signed Markstrom and Tanev and some other guys, but he kept the rest of the core. So really, you're only adding one defenseman and a starting goalie. And as we've seen, that doesn't really change anything. And look, I'll give Chris Tanev credit. He's been really good for them. And, you know, Jacob Markstrom, despite some injuries, I think he's been very good for them. But those two stars, when everybody else is just inconsistent and, and not playing up to the level they need to be playing at to be competitive, they can't make a difference. You know, this is not basketball. And these are not, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl type players. So, yeah, I mean, like, you need to take a whole look at the roster and say, okay, you know, who do we want? in our group moving forward and how can we transition this to a team that's a hard to play against and B has a lot of skill and speed because I'll be honest, they don't have a whole lot of players like that, Matt. No, they don't. And this is something you and I've been talking about for quite a while is you, you look at Calgary's top lines, you look you, and you see a Lindholm, Kachuk, Gaudreau, Monaghan, not, Longiapani and some solid options, but then after that, it really drops off. And it's been something that Flames fans and just hockey fans in general have known about the Flames for years is that they're a top three or top six team at best. 
in terms of uh, offensive talent. And it's something, it's a gaping hole that's needed to be fixed in Calgary for years. And I recall saying back at, during our season preview, Mac, I said, Calgary's going to do one of two things this year. They're either going to blow everyone's socks off or they're going to be kind of mediocre and miss the playoffs. Uh-huh. And we're seeing the latter here. When guys like Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan and Mark Giordano are not on their A game, this team struggles immensely. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the good news is you do have uh, Derek Ryan coming off the books at 3.125. And I don't think Sam Bennett is coming back. I don't think he's getting anywhere near 2.5 million. He's an RFA to be. And look, you do have a lot of contracts that you could still move. You know, I think maybe you could get somebody to take a Michael Backlund. Um, I don't think you'd want to move a guy like Noah Hannafin. I think he's valuable. I think if you stick with Giordano, Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, and Tana, that's a really good group to keep around. But aside from that, I, I feel like Gaudreau and Monahan need to be somewhere else. I think you absolutely keep Matt Kachuk. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about Lindholm, to be honest. I kind of like him, but I'm not head over heels for him, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Although you can see where the uh, Flames would make, could make a good case to keep Elias Lindholm around. Right. And, and, you know, doing that would not be a bad decision. But, you know, I think you have to think about, you know, what does this team look like in the next two years and which guys should we realistically look to keep and which guys should we look to move away from. And I don't know if they're going to do it because let's be honest, there have been very little rumors or news about the flames. And and I think Brad Treliving really needs to figure this thing out because if you stay silent at the trade deadline and nothing happens and you wait to try and make these moves in the summer, I mean, what kind of confidence does a fan base have in your general manager? If he can't accept that what he has just isn't good enough. Exactly. And the the frustrating thing watching the Calgary flames is it almost feels like complacency. All right. Well, we make the playoffs fairly regularly and, you know, we get a couple home playoff games where we can make extra money. And who cares? You know, if we, make, if we end up going on a playoff run, that's awesome. But who cares? We made the playoffs. Successful season. Well, that's not how it works in the NHL. Yeah, making the playoffs is great. But then you need to build off that. And Calgary's just never really taken that next step ever since they brought in Monaghan and Gaudreau and they were in their prime. They never took that next step to to push towards the second, third, and fourth rounds of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And now that Goudreau and Monaghan are getting older, and I wouldn't say they're past their primes, but they're struggling more and they're being more inconsistent. Calgary is struggling. Here's a good comparison, Mac, in my opinion. The Calgary Flames are what the Edmonton Oilers would be if they didn't have Dreisaitl and McDavid. And Monaghan and Gaudreau, to an extent, have almost acted like they're Leon Dreisaitl and McDavid when they're going, when they're on. But they've been off, and they've been off for the last year, really, going back to the playoffs and before the shutdown. And Calgary just hasn't been the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens I think at the trade deadline, we'll say a lot, but I think in the off season is a little more realistic in terms of uh, potentially big changes in Calgary. So I got a question for you. Yep. You and I are going to do a trade deadline show, but what do you think about talking about maybe some guys that could be on the move and, and some good fits for players that are available? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right, so first question for you, and this this is going to seem maybe like a weird one, but the Nashville Predators have won five games in a row. Mm-hmm. Roman Yossi is back, and they seem to be playing better. Do you think they'll keep guys like Matias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, Philip Forsberg, now that they're closer to a playoff spot? Mm. See, if for example, I've just pulled up TSN's trade board because 
of the sports networks, TSN generally is pretty good with their trade board. And of course, Ekholm is at number one. He has been for quite a while. And Granlin's at three. The, the thing is, is that I could see it going both ways, Mac. I really could. And it really depends on where Paul feels his team is. If I were in that situation, Mac, I would still sell them off. Because here's the thing. You look at the NHL standings right now, right now Mac. The, in the um, Central Division, you've got Tampa, who's well ahead of everyone else. We knew that was going to happen. Carolina's right behind them at 49. Florida's been the surprise with 48 points. But then it's an 11-point drop. Uh-huh. 48 points with the Florida Panthers to the Nashville Predators at 37. Now, they are they will be in a playoff race more than likely with the Chicago Blackhawks who have 37 points. But the the thing is if I'm Nashville, yeah, you're yeah, you're technically in a playoff spot. You won five in a row and it's good to see. But the, the question you need to ask yourself, Mac, is is this a resurgence? Or is it a hot streak? Now, I would call it a hot streak. You look at their previous five games that they've won. They've played the Blackhawks twice, and they've played the Red Wings twice, and they've played the Stars once, and they're playing the Stars as we are recording this. Uh-huh. So are they playing the top-tier teams in their division at the moment? No. And then if you look back to the last time they've played their top-tier teams, they've split a couple of decisions between Tampa and in Florida, which is all right, but they lost a couple to the Hurricanes, for example. Mm-hmm. So, to me, I don't think you stay pat at the trade deadline. If you can get a good offer for Ekholm or Granland or any of these other guys that you want to trade, mm-hmm. you have to remember that this, that this Nashville team, despite the mirage of technically being in a playoff spot, is still not a very good team. If they were in their normal division, and this were a normal 82-game season, I don't think they'd be anywhere near the playoffs. I think they'd be a mediocre team, which is what they are. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I like that answer a lot. Now, I mentioned Matthias Ekholm, and I, I can't help but think that literally the perfect fit for him would be to be with the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I could see that. I absolutely could see that. And the thing with... Winnipeg, as you and I know that they're looking to build off of the success they've had so far this season, they're the one team that you and I massively misjudge. And I'm willing to, and I, as you are, we're willing to admit that mistake. And it's good to see Winnipeg playing well. But you and I both know they could use a little more, especially on the defensive side. And if a guy like Ekholm is available and the price is right, we know Winnipeg's willing to deal Kevin Shovel Day off made a big move earlier this season, trading uh, Patrick Lyon to Columbus. So I think it, it's very well possible. I think Winnipeg could make a splash at the deadline. Now, will it be at home? That will be, remain to be seen. But I absolutely think Winnipeg is going to make some sort of big deal at the deadline. I just feel like it's coming. Yeah, I, I honestly think that the two guys they're after right now are David Savard and Matthias Ekholm. I do think they'll be able to get one of those guys if if they're both available. Because the funny thing is, like you mentioned, we don't know what Nashville is going to do. But also Columbus is not that far out of a playoff spot, even though they're very inconsistent. I think it's more likely that David Savard is for sure available than Matthias Ekholm. But again, they're they're similar types of players, and they're stay-at-home defensemen. They're defense first. They both can move the puck, and they'd add a lot to the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, absolutely. Any other questions you have, Mac? Uh, yeah. What about Taylor Hall? I mean, there are contenders that are interested in him, but what do you think is the best fit for Taylor Hall if, you know, looking at the teams that have the space to potentially acquire him? Well, I said it last offseason, and I'll say it again here. I think Colorado would be a really good fit for him, and I think they could use a player like Taylor Hall. Yeah, he hasn't been as good as he has been in past seasons, but I, they've got the cap space for him. It would be just the remainder of the season. I don't know if he would resign in Colorado, but in that tight West division, you and I talked about before we came on the show, 
there's kind of three teams we can say that have been really good in the West. Vegas, Colorado, Minnesota, and, and St. Louis to an extent, although they've been a little iffy at times. And Colorado just doesn't seem to have quite enough depth or scoring power to take over the Vegas Golden Knights in their crazy depth. So adding a guy like Taylor Hall, if Joe Sackett can swing it here, Mac, I think he should. And now that being said, he shouldn't pay a high price for Taylor Hall. Mm -hmm. He's got the assets. If he wants to make that move, he can do it. Because you look at the standings right now, it's a one-point race between Vegas and Colorado. And as of right now, if you had to give an edge to a team, I think I'd give it to Vegas. So I think oh, okay. Vegas has been very good. Yeah, they have. And that's not saying Colorado hasn't been good either, but I think adding a piece like Taylor Hall for the right price would go a long way to helping Colorado, especially come playoff time. Because we know they'll make the playoffs. The mm-hmm. question is, what are they going to do when they get there? At the Excuse me. At the moment, they would end up facing Minnesota. Now, do I think Colorado would win that? I think so. But you and I both know how much of a handful the Wild can be this year. So if Taylor Hall is available, which he more than likely will be, and the price is right, I think Colorado is the fit for him. What about you, Mac? Yeah, it's it's hard to to think about which teams have room to acquire him because so many of these contending teams are, are really strapped for cash. Um, I think the one that – the two that stand out to me are – are like Colorado if Joe Sackick isn't holding a crudge right now. <laughs> and uh, also I think Boston could work really well. And, and look, it's no secret that the one thing Boston needs badly is secondary scoring. And I think the ask there would probably be Jake DeBrusque and maybe a draft pick. And what I've heard about Boston is they really don't want to trade him. But, I mean, you know, Taylor Hall is a proven player, and he could add a lot to the Boston Bruins and give them another threat in that lineup. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think Taylor Hall is going to be on the move. I will be shocked, Mac, if he is in Buffalo after April 12th. So some contender te- contending team is going to get him, and it's just a question of how much – are they willing to pay for him? And there's a possibility out there. I know Buffalo doesn't have a whole lot of space, but I could see a potential situation where Buffalo holds on to some of that cash, especially since it's only one season. It's a one and done deal. I could absolutely see that happening, especially if Buffalo, they feel like they could get more for Taylor Hall in that type of situation. So we will see. It's a very interesting situation. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the other player that I'm interested in, and, and this might not be like a high-profile acquisition, Adam Henrique was placed on waivers by the Ducks, and he wasn't claimed. And I think that's mostly because of the high salary. And a lot of these teams, are they don't have a lot of money to play with. But I, I was just thinking aloud here. Like, what if Anaheim would retain half of his salary? and be willing to give him away for, let's say, a draft pick and a prospect. I mean, some team could pick him up and get a really good kind of third-line center that's good defensively and has got a great shot and, and has some skill. I mean, plus he's got the playoff experience. I think he could be a sneaky acquisition here for a team. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that in any normal year, if he was on waivers, he would have been claimed very, very quickly. But with the flat cap, that's not happening, of course. And I think that he would be, as you said, he's a depth player and a very good one at that. And what we're going to see at the deadline is one of two things, Mac. We're going to see teams like Buffalo, potentially Calgary, and teams like San Jose, Arizona, the teams that need to retool or rebuild. Or we're going to see teams that are, feel as though this is a window of opportunity for them and they're going to make moves. We're normally at the trade deadline. Yeah, you see that, but I think that's really all you're going to see this year because I think a lot of teams are going to avoid making moves unless they see something really good because of 
the rules in place. So, especially because even within the United States, I believe it's still a rule, Mac, that if you're, let's say you're going from Tampa to Boston, you need to quarantine for a week. So I think the bit we're going to see not as many moves this year, but I think we're going to see some big moves. So I think Henrik would be a sneaky move. I don't think you'd have to give up too much for him. And we could see, we could see a team like, I don't know, Toronto, for example, if Anaheim could retain a good chunk of that salary, I think that would be a good pickup for the Leafs, for example, or the Jets or the Capitals. You know, there's lots of teams that could use a Henrik. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, the other thing, I won't not mention the Leafs here, and I just want to briefly talk about some players that they could be interested in. And I want to start with Connor Garland from Arizona. And a lot of people don't know about this guy because he, first of all, he plays in Arizona. And second of all, you know, he's not a high profile guy. He's a smaller player, but really he has very quietly become a terrific player for them. And I think there is a need in that organization right now to what was the phrase I heard replenish assets and traffics because of bad management on their part. So I wonder if Connor Garland is available. And I think that would literally be the perfect thing for the Leafs because, you know, listen, Alex Kalchenyuk, and I'll admit he's played well, is not a top six player. Like he's, he's just not. If you could add a guy like a Connor Garland and put him on your second line with, let's say, Tavares and Nylander, that would be so much better. And I think he would make a huge difference. But I also think Darcy Kemper, if somehow he's available from Arizona, would be a huge addition for them because, look, he would be the best goalie on the team. And, you know, Freddie Anderson now is out with an injury. It's unclear how long he'll be out. So you're relying on Jack Campbell and Michael Hutchison. And I like Campbell, but I don't want to see Michael Hutchison in net anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, that's completely fair. Uh, on Arizona, Mac, I think that it, just looking at Arizona, I would assume pretty much everyone's available except Clayton Keller. And there's a real possibility out there that ownership and management want to ship off Keller if the price is right, too. So Arizona may be holding their own fire sale soon, Mac. And if you're a team like the Leafs and you see a guy like Garland available and the price is pretty cheap, you go for it. Yeah, I wonder what the price will be because we know he could be worth a a good amount. First of all, he has a very, very cheap contract. Second of all, he's a RFA to be. But also all these teams – are going to be interested in him because he's very easy to add to a contending team because of that low salary. So I wonder if the price is maybe a top prospect and a draft pick. I wonder if, you know, they just want a group of young players. Like, I don't know what they want, but you know, the coyotes are kind of decent. They're not great. They're, they're very inconsistent. And uh, I, I do think teams will, will try and take advantage of that. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of teams will be taking advantage of Arizona, Mac. They're in a pretty desperate situation in terms of draft picks and assets. The other, the other few guys that I was interested in are, are two Columbus Blue Jackets, and one of them is Nick Foligno, who is rumored to be available. And the other one that I'm kind of interested in from Toronto's perspective is Jonas Corposalo because Corpusello looked like he was on the edge of a breakout and the Columbus Blue Jacks have had a pretty bad season so far and his numbers have not been very good, but the talent is there and the upside is there. You know, maybe you could get him for not that much. And I think he'd be a, he'd be a big upgrade in net for the Leafs. Yeah, I think uh, he would be a big upgrade for the Leafs and the thing with the Blue Jackets is that they're they're pr- pretty likely going to go into a retool here. And Nick Foligno, I remember him when he was in Ottawa, and I, and I have watched a decent amount of Blue Jackets games, and he, he's a leader. He's a, a veteran. He's a guy that 
won't get a lot of points, but always does the right little things. He's got a great hockey sense, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. And he would be a great addition for pretty much any team. And I don't think it would cost that much to get Nick Foligno. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's two, there's three other guys I want to mention, and then we can wrap on the Leafs here. I think a player like Matt Nieto, who is not only a fast and great skater, but he can kill penalties. He's hard on the puck. He does all the little things you like. He could probably be had from uh, the San Jose Sharks for a pretty low price. And then I've got Alex Iafalo of the Kings. Similar player, a little bigger. He's actually a Buffalo native. He's played with Anze Kopitar and, and really uh, built quite the career for himself with the Kings. And then the other guys are Ricard Raquel and Tanner Pearson. But I feel like Raquel and Pearson will be a little too pricey for Toronto. Yeah, that's fair. And some interesting – the Leafs have some interesting options. I do think that Kyle Dupas is going to make some moves at the deadline. I certainly – think he wants to upgrade the goaltending I think he knows that that's a real shortcoming on the team at the moment now does that mean he tries to trade Anderson I don't know we'll have to wait and see but I certainly do think he's going to try and upgrade the goaltending and the depth another interesting thing while we're on the topic of the trade deadline Mac and I just thought about this we have to remember that the expansion draft for the Kraken are right around the corner how does Seattle play into this because I think a lot of GMs may be very wary of the expansion draft, especially after what happened with the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, absolutely. I think teams will be better prepared. I mean, mistakes will still be made because, you know, when you make decisions like that and you protect a certain group of players, you're almost bound to lose someone good. I mean, certain teams, because of how young their players are and how protected they are, they won't be hurt as much. But without question, you know, I think the Seattle Kraken will be in a pretty good position after that expansion draft. And I don't know how, how Ronnie Francis is going to play it, but if he kind of builds up the Kraken, how he built the Carolina Hurricanes, I mean, they could be a good team in, you know, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we might see a couple of deals with the Kraken. There might be some teams that feel as though they can get a favor out of Francis. So we shall see. The one thing that does bug me a little bit, Mac, I know why the NHL did it, but the Golden Knights are exempted from the expansion draft and it bugs me a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to be fair to the NHL, when they brought in the Golden Knights, no one thought they were going to be as good as they were so quickly. But yeah, yeah. At the same time, you look at the roster that the Knights had when they uh, started in the league just four years ago versus what they have now and it's there's not a whole lot of original players left no that's right yeah you know i I think they should have to feel the pain like the rest of of us will with the draft oh they will just not this time but next time oh i I think the nhl will go to 34 teams eventually there's just too many markets in Mm -hmm. north america that could support hockey but that's a conversation for another episode yeah for sure all right uh, anything else you want to touch on Mac? Uh, not for me. Anything else for you? Mm, no, I don't think so. The uh, the NHL, uh, it's going along pretty well, Mac. Uh, it's been some, ex- there's been some exciting hockey, uh, at least in Sens Land. It's not a whole, Sens Land, not a whole lot to report. But I will say, uh, I said this to you before we started recording, watch out, the Sens are only 11 points out of a pl- playoff spot. So they're not really all that far out. And the Sens could absolutely make a push for the playoffs. I'm not saying they will. I think it's highly unlikely. But you look at the teams they're playing. They're playing teams like Calgary, Vancouver, and Edmonton. Now, they haven't beaten Edmonton much. but You know, speaking of the Sens, what I would personally love, and I think fans would probably feel the same way, is if the Senators decided to become a buyer at the trade deadline. I mean, how cool would that be? Because not only do you feel like you have a shot at a playoff spot, but you reward the team for playing so well lately 
you know, the defensive play has been so much better. The goaltending has been better with uh, Gustafson stepping in. It would just be fun to see them go out and try and get players. I mean, I mentioned Adam Henrique. I mean, there's a guy you could get for not very much, and I guarantee you the Ducks would be willing to retain some salary. There are tons of players like that that are available that are good players that would make a lot of teams better. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the uh, Sens are a little underrated. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs myself, but I do think Peter Dorian's planning on making some moves. It's just a matter of how drastic they are. It is worth mentioning that the uh, University of North Dakota season and a good chunk of the college season is done. So there are guys like Shane Pinto and Jacob Bernard Docker and Jake Sanderson who had really good seasons in North Dakota that may find themselves either in Belleville or Ottawa to finish the season. So that's, if you're an outsider looking at the Sens, it is worth paying not close attention, but keeping an eye on the Sens because they, I think at the very least, they'll certainly play spoilers to a team like Montreal or Calgary or Vancouver teams that are trying to make a push for the playoffs because Ottawa is better than they were in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. And at the very least in Ottawa, I can say that next season, I think you're going to see a big step forward from this group. Yeah. It appears to be trending that way for sure. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this episode. Hey, eh, Mac. Yeah. Fun as always. Yeah. Well, as Mac said, our next episode We'll come shortly after the trade deadline. And as per always, we will break down all the major trades and trades that we find interesting and let you know our thoughts on them. So keep an eye out for that around April 12th, probably probably the 13th, 14th or something like that, depending on our schedules. But that will be coming your way along with another episode in April as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. The matchups heat up and... And the excitement grows. As always, we are brought to you by the National Podcast Network. Find us and many other great podcasts. Just look for them on Twitter at NationalPodNet. Once again, thanks to Matt for joining me as always. This was fun. We look forward to the trade deadline episode. Have fun, stay safe, and enjoy the hockey, guys.